Italian Wine Podcast. Chin Chin with Italian Wine People. Hello, this is the Italian Wine Podcast with me, Monty Walden. My guest today is Ned Goodwin, Master of Wine. Welcome. Thank you, Monty. Where are you speaking uh, to us from? Are you you on Bondi Beach or something near Sydney? Well, I'm not quite on Bondi Beach, but I was. <laughs> I'm out of the surf as about as of about 40 minutes ago, and I'm speaking to you from my apartment, which was, which is a uh, about 250 meters up the hill from the sand. Okay, so what is what is Bondi Beach like at this time of the year? We're, we're in um, what are we in? Uh, we're in the mid to late September. Well, Sydney is already unseasonably warm, so it's it's pretty hectic. It's busy. Lots of Italians. Are you are you a surfer dude as well or not? Or are you just like walking up? I am. I, no, no. I've surfed. All, I've surfed all my life, so I surf every day um, as a matter of discipline. Even if the waves aren't particularly good, and they're not particularly good at the moment. I mean, it's beautiful. It's it's uh, offshore winds and um, and very blue, and the the water is turquoise clear, but uh, not many waves at the moment. Three days ago, there were waves. The last few days, there have been no waves. And I guess the water's relatively warm, is it? Or well, I mean, Sydney siders think nineteen degrees, and the water is cold. That's what it is about now. But I mean, midsummer it heats up to about twenty-four. So I suppose, relatively speaking, nineteen compared to twenty-four is a bit chilly. But for a European, it's well. When I say European, for certain Europeans, particularly in the north or North Americans, nineteen degrees Celsius is not particularly cold at all. So, how about um, we're doing this interview during the COVID um, pandemic? What are what are the COVID um, or anti-COVID measures like in uh, in your part of Australia? Well, uh, when I say my part of Australia, I'll just bring Melbourne into play, even though it's a fourteen-hour or twelve-hour drive away. Uh, they're coming out of, I think, what were the most stringent um, COVID restrictions on the planet. Uh, around about now, I think next week, things are, fin- are finally going to free up from uh, level four. But uh, Sydney has been far more fortunate. Um, we've had restaurants and bars and uh, beaches and public recreational areas open for my God, Monty. I, everything is such a blur in this in this era. I can remember what I. I, I do, but I can't particularly place uh, when the the major events like when Bondi Beach opened, for example, uh, when they were. Uh, but I think it, it was back in April, May that Bondi was closed. And then from about June, uh, we, we've been open. And subsequent to that, we sort of had 10-person uh, maximum restrictions in bars and restaurants, which obviously wasn't particularly financially viable for many places. Uh, particularly in Australia where labour costs are very high. Uh, but subsequent to that, we're now at gatherings of 100. So things are, you know, in, in the grand scheme of things, things are relatively lenient. Um, New South Wales, which is the state that Sydney is in, uh, has no longer any uh, new COVID cases. So things are on the up. But who knows? Things could obviously change on a whim. Now you're a you're a master of wine, um, and you're one of the few masters of wine in Asia, and the first in Japan. How is it that you have a, an Australian accent and you have this strong link with Japan? And you were born in London as well, weren't you? So yeah, I was born in London. But aside from the convenience of a European passport, um, I it's it, it's not uh, really part of my. 
my uh, jest out, I suppose. I, I, I was brought up in Bondi. And um, subsequent to that, I, I spent an exchange student year uh, from the age of 15 to 16 in rural mountainous Japan, which really became the platform for things Japanese related thereafter. So after education in, in Paris, among other places, I, uh, I was offered a job to go back to Japan and I did. And I thought it would be, this was in the early 2000s. And I thought that job, which was buying wine for a very large restaurant consortium to the tune of around 65 restaurants throughout Japan, but mostly Tokyo centric, I thought I would stay for around a year or two. And lo and behold, I ended up staying for 14 years. <laughs> so that's how that fitted in. But I, I had a I had a pass for the place prior, so things um, Japanese, uh, lingually, culturally, etc., weren't completely foreign to me as they are or would be to many. So that's how it all sort of fitted in. And then after 14 years, I wanted to bring uh, my children and family back to Australia. I suppose I missed blue sky and nature and clear water and so forth. And so we did. And that was, so, well, six years ago come November. So verging on six years ago now. But why Japan? Why, why not? I know you mentioned Europe, but why did you choose to get a job in Japan? I mean, did you speak Japanese before you went there? or I did. I spoke, I spoke pretty good Japanese after, firstly, my, my year. With, sorry, I, I should have extrapolated a bit more. That exchange student year that saw me in rural mountainous Japan also saw me living with a Japanese family and going to high school there. And when I say high school, I wasn't going to any sort of international school. I was going to the local high school. So that, um, it was a sort of sink and swim type dynamic, which um, allowed me, I suppose, to discover this sort of inner reservoir of discipline that I never knew I had. And I've drawn on that across many other challenges, including the Master of Wine. But it was during that year that I learned competent Japanese. And then for many years thereafter, I was working as a Japanese-speaking tour guide from Sydney to Paris um, to not only make money to put myself through my studies, but also to continue with my Japanese studies and, and regular practice. So by the time I went there in, the, in 2002, um, I was coming from New York at the time. I'd been a sommelier at a place called Veritas there, and I was offered a job in Japan. So I was curious, A, to go back, but also quite eager to uh, venture back into, you know, the, the cultural and lingual studies of, of things Japanese. But I did, have, I did have good Japanese prior to going, yes. So um, your career, I mean, how did your career as a sommelier, where did that start initially? That started in Paris. So I was studying art history at university there and I was on a scholarship but um, that paid for my studies but not my rent and food, obviously. So I worked in various wine bars and I suppose the wine bar that would strike a chord with you in particular being English was uh, Les Juvenils with uh, Tim Johnson. And I worked a couple of shifts at Willie's as well. So that is where that started. I don't know if you could really call me a sommelier. Prior to that, I'd had some wine retail, <clears throat> excuse me, experience in Sydney. But um, that at least was my first sort of forage into uh, wine bars, restaurants, etc. And I left Paris following a woman at the time to go to New York. And it was really in New York that I started working more extensively in finer dining and um, made sort of made my way, way across a number of restaurants 
um, went across country to Los Angeles simply because I wanted to drive across country and I thought coming from Sydney, um, surf and sun, and I ended up staying in LA for almost two years. And it was there, in fact, that I took on my first official uh, sommelier come wine directorship at a restaurant called Michael's in Santa Monica. And um, after Michael's, I went back to New York, driving a different route this time across country, and succeeded in um, acquiring a job at a place called Veritas, uh, which in its day, I suppose, was purportedly the finest wine-listed restaurant on the planet. And that sounds like hyperbole, particularly now, but um, thinking back uh, to that wine list, I've certainly seen nothing since that, that, that comes close. So that is where I sort of reached the zenith of the sommelier world, I suppose. And I was wondering what to do after that. Um, I certainly wanted to somehow liberate myself from hospitality, not a particularly lucrative nor healthy uh, career. And when I was offered this role in Japan, while it was in and around restaurants, I wasn't on the floor. And it also offered me a more of an international scope in terms of buying opportunities, uh, Vinitaly, Provine, uh, En Primeur, Grand Jour de Bourgogne, et cetera, was sort of regular jaunts of mine. And um, that, that, was, that was not only an interesting job that uh, saw me in a, in a buying educational role, but it was also a job that allowed me to extricate myself from hospitality defined as being a sommelier on a restaurant floor, <laughs> which was my goal after, I don't know, almost 10 years of doing it. It's interesting that you've got your arty side and your numbers side. I mean, the business side, we'll probably get onto a little bit more of that in, back, in detail. And you've got that, that sort of um, two, both sides of your brain are working, if you, if you want to put it like that. Yeah, interesting. I, I would certainly say my, my arty side is probably the more intuitive and the one that I naturally lean toward. Uh, the numbers side is something that I have to uh, is sort of, you know, cognizantly pay attention to and learn all the time because it's not a, a natural strength nor really a natural interest of mine, <laughs> aside from the fact that you've got to know it. Okay. So um, go on, you carry on with your, uh, your story. What was the next step then? Oh, well, um, so, yeah, New York to, to, to Tokyo and then close to 14 years in Tokyo and then, and then back to Sydney. So that's really that, – that sums it up. And subsequent to that, I'm, I'm back, back in the hearth or back at the hearth. I'm uh, living almost directly across the road from the apartment that I grew up in as a kid. Uh, which was not strategic. It's just the way things have played out. So let's talk about Italian wine. Um, what uh, are your particular favourite regions or styles? Yeah, look, I, I really like uh, the Piemont um, and I like more traditional producers. Um, although, you know, the the, uh, the discussion about the you know the sort of barricista modern producers and those who are traditional i think is a bit a, a bit archaic now things have uh, things have, have shifted from the extremes and there are a lot of people um sort of plying their wares on a very fine line of uh, of diplomacy somewhere on either side well i would never have had you down as a classicist i would have thought you know, um, I just thought you were just going to the kind of, you know, the Somme, the kind of modern uh, wines, and um, it's great to hear that you're 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 just in the other camp. 
as I stare across uh, my room at an empty bottle of Biondi Santi Reserva 2012. Uh, but uh, Tuscany, as beautiful as it is, I, I suppose I should be, um, you know, flying the flag. But it's it's not necessarily one of my favourite regions for wine. Certainly the Piemont. And shall I let you into a secret? What was that? Say, guess where I am. You told me, Montalcino, I know. All right. In Italian, they say uh, memoria like a bloody pomoto, which um, just means I've literally no memory at all. Sorry. <laughs> well, you, you're no different to me in this, and particularly in this climate. God, it's uh, it's conducive to uh, to having a brain like a sieve. Um, and uh, and without naming producers, um, I also like very much Campania. I think Alianico is a fantastic grape. And um, I also like the white grape varieties from <clears throat> down that way, particularly Fiano, but uh, a strong affection for Greco. And to some extent, simply because I love Naples and uh, I've got uh, memories that are very, are very fond and, and nostalgic, I suppose, that uh, um, see me uh, walking out of uh, some cove near Posillipo uh, bare, barefooted, no shirt, and uh, sort of ambling up to some little joint and sitting down. And as I put my shirt on, ordering a flask of Falangina and necking the thing. Um, so I, I like that 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 uh, neck of the woods and other great varieties that I'm very fond of that I would sort of place in my Italian uh, top four or five. Uh, Verdicchio from the Marche, I think, is a, is a is a wonderful grape. Um, for all sorts of reasons, but largely because of its sheer uh, drinkability. Yeah, and it's ageable and underpriced as well, I think, still. You know, it's um, a, a real a, a bargain. And I think also it, it challenges the notion or the, def- the, 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 the classic definition, the master of wine and W set definition of, you know, what constitutes a fine wine. I mean, it is ageable to an extent, but... Um, I, I think in this day and age, particularly with um, organic, biodynamic and uh, natural, the idiom of natural wine becoming so influential, um, it, it, is a fine wine necessarily a wine that has the constitution to age uh, for a long time? And um, I don't know. It's a rhetorical question, I suppose, but it's certainly one to think about because Vidicchio does have the capacity to age, but I like it and it's sort of, jubilant youth um as i do greco and fiano and the other great variety i suppose i left out of my top five uh white varieties anyway um indigenous italians would be uh vermentino um and uh fan perhaps more of more of the pigato um iteration of vermentino than i am of the more more oily powerful uh, Sardinian expressions, but um, you know, uh, great grape as well. Mm-hmm. And uh, any other grapes? What about some reds? Some of your red favorite red red varieties? Well, I uh, well aside from Nebbiolo, um, and I'll stick in the Piemont for a while. But I've become rather uh, fond of Grignolino. <laughs> it's, it's delicious. Oh, really? Yeah. Well, I like the I like I like I like the um, I saw I, li- I like the the juxtaposition between its sort of light. Uh, red fruited shade, and then these rather ferocious tannins. <laughs> it's interesting. It's sort of like you know the chiaroscuro of uh, of um, uh, you know perceivably easygoing grapes that actually have a rather serious grunt to them. Um, other than that, I, I like Rafosco, 
probably because of its gulp ability and that savory peppery edge. Um, yeah, I like Cannonau, I suppose, because, or maybe I'm, I'm sort of translating my affection for Southern Rhone Grenache uh, into an affection for Cannonau, but no, I, 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 I do, do like it. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I mean, I should be saying Sangiovese, shouldn't I? Of course, I, I, I like Sangiovese. And I'm sure I've left. Oh well, what am I, what what else? Uh, how, how can I? I've already said Alianico uh, and the Campanian things. Uh, Pierre de Rosso is nice too when one's down there. Probably for the same reason that Rafosco is nice when one is up in Friuli. Um, and um, uh, I've got an affection for Cesanese because I just love the notion of drinking an indigenous local variety from the Roman hills while in Rome. That's a good one. Yeah. But it's a very simple, uh, simple wine for the most part, and that's absolutely fine. If you were going to live in Italy and you were, you could not live on the coast, you had to live in a, a landlocked area or somewhere in the middle. Of, where would you? Where would you go? Oh, that's a, that's a tough question. I would probably go to Umbria. Um, Although I didn't mention Sagrantino, so you're probably wondering, or, or Grichetto, you're probably wondering why <laughs> why I mentioned that. But uh, I like it because it's um, a sort of more adventurous, rustic version of, of, of Tuscany. Uh, the varieties are, are good. It's not too far away from the coast. And it's, it, it, and it's encroaching, well, I suppose by definition, it is uh, already in the south, certainly the beginning of the south. So uh, I like um, the, the the south because I like the warmth and the sunshine and olive oil rather than butter and cream and so forth. But And I suppose Umbria has the advantage of, um, you know, I already said not being too far from the coast but not being too far from and Tuscany and uh, a, so, a sort of level of sophisticated affluence rather than, you know, the... The, the the visceral carnal pleasures of Naples, which I love, but I'm not allowed to be on the coast. Plus, I don't like in excess of sixty percent unemployment in the Camorra. So um, it's easy to go down there and think how great it would be to live there. But living there, I'm sure, in reality, would be a very different story. So we talk about let's talk about business. So you you made the move from the hospitality industry to uh, a corporate job, purchasing wine for a restaurant group in Japan. Um, how, did that, how did that come about? Was that through the Master of Wine, or was that just through your own uh, your own? No, that was because the the Master of Wine, in fact, was um, well. That took place in terms of my my applying to be taken on by the institute, and then the the trials and tribulations of studying and driving the whole thing on my own. That was all in Japan, so that was after the job offer. The job offer came simply because I ran into the Japanese CEO of this you know vast restaurant group in uh, New York at a wine tasting, and we struck up conversation and. I was speaking in Japanese and obviously working at Veritas at the time, so he was impressed by these credentials and he asked me if I wanted to go back to Japan. And I did leave 
a bit out of the story because otherwise the story just goes on and on. But uh, what ended up happening, and it was really the catalyst for leaving Veritas when I did, uh, although his job offer was already on the table, I ended up broke, uh, breaking my a compound fracturing my wrist. Um, <laughs> I fell off a uh, <laughs> I fell off a, a, a high backed computer roll away chair, which is obviously a stupid chair to stand up on in the first place. But I was cooking toast under what the Americans call a broiler, uh, which is um, their term for the grill in an oven. And I forgot that the toast was there. It burnt and set the smoke detector on the roof of this uh, loft in Brooklyn that I was living in at the time, wailing. And so spontaneously I grabbed this chair that I was sitting on, stood on it and fell from around, I don't know, what's nine foot? That's what I was told by Americans it would have been. So a couple of meters, I suppose. Yeah, fractured my wrist, and then I had stabilizer bars and pins in my in my forearm through to my hand, which meant that I could no longer work as a sommelier. Which also meant that this guy's job offer was far more attractive than it would have been otherwise. So I took a bit of time in between my leaving Veritas and my going to uh, Tokyo to take on the job. I went uh, and before September 11 because otherwise I wouldn't have been allowed to get on a plane with this walking weapon embedded into my uh, into my bones. Um, uh, these pins and and, uh, and uh, stabilizer bars, so to speak. I ended up going to Friuli uh, and then down to Naples. Spent a couple of weeks with a friend's family down there, and then my father friend and I rented a house in the Languedoc without electricity powered by a generator right near Forgere and stayed there for almost five months, at which point my arm had healed. I went back to New York. September 11 had happened while I was in the south of France and I retrieved my stuff and went to Tokyo and finally after this time that this uh, gentleman had kindly allowed me to take, um, I took on the role of wine director for a company called Global Dining. And what was the next step? Um, well, I, I, I thought a couple of years, as I mentioned earlier, and then 14 years later, I finally came here. But I, um, the role was good because I initially it was a little frustrating. I didn't quite understand the nature of it uh, because it was rather different in reality to what it seemed to be on paper. Uh, given the sheer number of restaurants, I was effectively in charge of uh, accredited sommeliers with the Japan Sommeliers Association, which for those of you who don't know, has more accredited, well, actually Japan per se has more accredited sommeliers than any other country in the world, but for Italy, for what that's worth. Um, but I was in charge of uh, sommeliers who were well-versed and then sort of wine waiters or bringers and takers and restaurant managers who barely knew the, the difference between a white and red wine. On the other hand, in uh, the more casual tier of this network of 65 restaurants. So it was a lot of, um, there was a, a variable uh, level of the sort of education that needed to be done uh, restaurant pending. And after a while, I realized that my chief role, even though on my business card, which the Japanese love to doll out to all and sundry, uh, it's very important to their culture, it said uh, corporate wine director, I realized that my real 
well, chief responsibility anyway, aside from making sure that I was buying wine that was making that company money, uh, was to educate this legion of um, of staff, some of whom were sommeliers and other others of whom were 19 years old, fresh out of high school, uh, making barely enough to, to buy two beers uh, in an hour and who had never tasted wine in their lives. So that was the role. Uh, and with that role came, you know, a, a lot of frustration, but also a great deal of joy and satisfaction to be uh, weaning and I suppose nurturing this young brigade of new Japanese wine professionals. Um, and uh, of course, that's not to say that everyone uh, wanted to be a wine professional, but there were enough among that network of staff across that vast network of restaurants who I suppose found my way of, um, you know, I don't like the word educating, but talking about wine um, infectious and effusive and went on to become now some of Japan's leading young wine professionals. So that alone was worth the 14 years. And the company funded my Master of Wine Studies. And given that I was obviously buying for such a, a big group, uh, the samples that I was receiving were, you know, fast and furious. And pretty much in terms of the styles I was getting, they covered the world of wine that I needed to be uh, covering, tasting and uh, educating myself on vis-a-vis my Master of Wine Studies. So it all worked out rather rather well really and um i left i suppose because as i mentioned earlier i wanted to come back to australia and the lifestyle here but um it 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 wasn't as if i was ready to jettison myself from japan and come back to the uh, to, to to a western culture um it it was with great um i suppose indecisiveness that i i left japan i i was unsure whether it was the right move at the time but um at the, at the same time you know 14 years is a big chunk of one's life and uh, i'm happy to be back so was the creation of your um your label a sort of uh, which is which is good wine mm. um was that part of your um quotes rehabilitation of going back to australia that you had that project to look after then no not at it had nothing to do with it. I just had a, uh, a distributor down. And, and that wine, by the way, is very um, Nagoya and that area in and around Nagoya centric uh, in that the distributor who takes care of that wine is based down there. Um, he was a friend actually of Kenichi Ohashi, who uh, was the first uh, Japanese national master of wine. And my mentee, I think Ken passed, I don't know, three years ago or something like that. Uh, but either way, um, it was Ken, pre him becoming a master of wine, who introduced me to this company who wanted sort of an irreverent, um, you know, an easygoing, eminently drinkable, uh, relatively inexpensive um, fizz, white and red wine. And um, I came up with the blend and we worked together on that. But it's really only sold in that particular part of Japan. It's not sold across Japan. So it really had nothing to do with my, my as a platform for my coming back here. Mm-hmm. So any, any tips for people listening that are thinking of or who are already in the Master of Wine program? Oh, yes. Um, be disciplined, uh, even when you think, I mean, to state the bleeding obvious, but I mean, the level of discipline required is uh, something that you've really uh, got, a, got, got to drum up on your own. No one's going to spoon feed you. And even when you think you've done enough work, you probably haven't. And make sure you study 
every day. I mean, I was studying two hours every weekday and then four hours uh, each day of a weekend. And obviously that's all uh, highly personal, but I just found that that discipline uh, and those hours uh, intrinsic to my sense of having discipline uh, very very important in, in, in terms of getting getting through it. And of course, there are many other tips I could provide, but uh, that that discipline is is very important. It's like going to the gym or you know swimming two k's or whatever you do, or you know running ten k's a day. I, I don't know. People have their own <laughs> their own shtick, um, but um, the MW is is along those lines. You've just got to do it, and you need to do it every day. I mean, is your role as a as a mentor not just for your to your the people that you work with, but for students that some of them you maybe you've never met before? Um, obviously, this idea of discipline is one thing. What other tips would you give? Yeah, look, I've been fortunate enough to know to have known and and to know most of my if not all of my mentees, but um, it's it's important to be highly organized as well. I mean, coming from a sommelier background, I created notebooks. Uh, in and around uh, grape varieties that I thought had uh, physiological and or stylistic synergies. Uh, for example, off the topic of things Italian for a moment, but, uh, I, you know, something like Hunter Valley Semion, which is this idiosyncratic wine that virtually nobody drinks even here in Australia, albeit it's perceived or considered to be this inimitable uh, quintessential Australian white wine. And when it's young, it's like, battery acid it has very little little personality uh the alcohol uh sort of defies external um per- uh, perceptions of australia and that the alcohol is traditionally uh somewhere in the vicinity of 10 and a half to 11 and a half percent uh and, and and these wines see no oak yet after you know around eight years uh, miraculously they sort of uh, transform themselves into uh, these incredibly complex, long-lived wines that then after about 15 years uh, become quite profound. And so I took a, a wine like that and in my, in my world of creating these stylistic synergies, particularly Hunter Valley when it's young or Hunter Valley Semillon when it's young, uh, it resembles Muscadet. Uh, at least as far as any wine in the world resembles Muscadet. I suppose you could argue that fairly anodyne Trebbiano could resemble Muscadet as well, but not quite in that Muscadet's uh, alcohol level is almost identical to Hunter Semillon. Um, the only complexity in its youth that it has is usually lees-derived, as is Hunter Semillon. There's no oak, or at least for the most part, on either styles. And, uh, and, they're, and they're high acid wines, even though Semillon as a grape physiologically is not a particularly high acid uh, grape variety. Uh, the way it's uh, managed in the hunter, meaning picked early uh, to mitigate um, the, uh, the threat of early to midsummer rains, uh, means that it is high acid. So, you know, there are these. The other obvious one would be uh, Nebbiolo and Pinot Noir and uh, to some extent um, Grenache, particularly when it's uh, not from a modernist uh, producer who's using too much oak over over extracting, um, and particularly Grenache along the lines of Chateau Reyes, which of course uh, I would love to drink more than I can, uh, particularly with a bit of age. So there are these sort of you know um, holy triumvirates of, uh, of varieties like those three that have um, they have many similarities, and the reason I came up with these notebooks covering all of these. Uh, possible um, synergies that I could is simply 
to facilitate my prowess when it came to blind tasting. Uh, and then if I thought I knew what something was, uh, but I was unsure, and I, rather than sit on the fence, I was able to get to what it was through the process of elimination. Um, in other words, eliminating what it wasn't uh, based on my creating these highly personalized, albeit very useful books dedicated to these, what I call these stylistic synergies across the world of grapes. So, I mean, whether that's the right way or wrong way, I don't know. But what I'm trying to say is that I was pretty organized, uh, at least in terms of my my world of organization. And um, I'm sure that other people would approach it in a different way. But it's important to, uh, you know, do the work and be I mentioned discipline, sure, but um, but highly organised in terms of what is going to work for you and working it out because, again, no one is going to tell you uh, how to do it. People can only um, give you hints and, uh, and, and suggest, suggest um, various passages through what is a, you know, a, a minefield of, 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 of so-called compulsory reading and uh, and articles and suggestions and, you know, and, uh, and naysayers and, uh, and overly optimistic uh, uh, people as well. So it, 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 it does require a, a great deal of organisational skill. Yeah, it's very interesting hearing you talking about getting, giving yourself a strategy. Um, and then when we look at, when we just said about your professional career, your career has been a mix of, of um, serendipity and strategy. Um, so, uh, you've, got a, you've got a fascinating story. Well, thank you, Bobby. I like that. I'm going to plagiarise that. <laughs> Serendipity melting strategy. Yeah, you can. No, but you do, though. I mean, um, it, you, know, you travel all over the place, um, you know, and, and the, the cultures that you've lived in um, have obviously uh, informed your um, your view and that you have a very global outlook, but you, you're great on the minutiae of the detail of uh of what's going on. So um, anybody who wants to study wine or the MW, um, you're a great person to uh, to get to know, that's for sure. And I just want to say thank you for, for being such a fantastic guest. You know, yeah, it's been entertaining, but um, educational as well. I mean, I've learned a lot from what you've been saying today. And um, I, hope, I hope one day we meet face to face. I mean, a real, a real, real pleasure. I hope we meet again and wishing you all the best over your way. Uh, warm wishes from afar. Thanks, Monty. Bye-bye to you. And thanks, Luke. If you want to, you know, let me know, okay? I, I will do. Thanks, man. Bye-bye to you. Bye, mate. Listen to the Italian Wine Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. We're on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Himalaya FM, and more. Don't forget to subscribe and rate the show. If you enjoy listening, please consider donating through italianwinepodcast.com. Any amount helps cover equipment, production, and publication costs. Until next time, chin chin. I mean, I think your technique needs a bit of uh, perfecting. Why? Well, I don't know if you're going to go side to side or, or long to long, but you know, you need to. <laughs> Need really? to speed it up a little bit, mate. All right, hold on, bear with me. I'm just uh, sucking the cord back into the menu. If you got, if you got to clean the loo or the, or the shower, just you know, it's 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 okay. All righty. <laughs> we could we could do a show about home home, home maintenance in the, in the era of COVID. But if you want to take some pictures of your vacuum cleaner and so that's you know just do so. Now.
hoping we can use them in the publicity. No, not really. I was uh, strategizing finishing just on time, which is pretty much what I've done. So good.